0: Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com.
1: Hello, and welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock and the Pavilion, with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello, everyone. On today's podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Sky Sports Racing presenter, Josh Apiafi. Josh is a leader in promoting diversity in racing and recently released the documentary The Uncomfortable Race on Sky Sports. How are you today, Josh?
0: I'm very well indeed, enjoying the sun.
1: Yes, well, we've both got the same problem. We need to make sure we've got plenty of factor on our head.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm lucky that I'm... uh... With my ethnicity, I I sort of have a head start on that. I don't tend to burn unless it's really hot, but that's not to say you shouldn't wear sunscreen. I definitely put some on, but I haven't yet this year. It's not warm enough for that yet.
1: Right. Well, we're we're getting to a bit more of a serious subject now, but um, before we talk about your excellent documentary, I wanted to ask you a a sort of direct question. Um, Do you think the tragic events of 12 months ago with George Floyd's murder did that make sports organisations take more action on diversity, which they hadn't probably were going to take until those events happened?
0: I think that what happened twelve months ago with George Floyd's murder made the whole world it woke up. Um, and it woke up to the fact that things needed to change. And I think that when you relate that to sport, because a lot of I've been asked what has George Floyd's murder got to do with horse racing and it isn't it's that horse racing and sport in general live in their own bubbles and now to be attractive to the outside world and to to the audience of now and in the future you've got to show that you understand what's going on in their world and if you turn a blind eye to what's going on in their world you're not you're going to become unattractive so I think it did wake up uh, the sporting world did the racing world didn't I think the racing world, up until about a month ago, decided to put its head in the sand like an ostrich and completely ignore the fact of what had just gone on.
1: Yeah, I know from being a big cricket fan that prior to the events of 12 months ago, um, Ebony Rainford-Brent, who's been on this podcast, had already done uh, a lot of work with the ACE programme, which he's continued to do. So, But my introduction talked about your excellent documentary when you interviewed Kane and Francis, Elijah Michael, and Callum Helliwell. Can you let listeners know uh, more about the programme?
0: Certainly. I've, been, I've obviously been a campaigner with the likes of Rishi Passad um, to talk about race, basically to get start the conversation within the sport. And sadly, it's only been the two of us that have started that conversation, or we felt it's just the two of us. Um, Rishi did an interview with me at the end of uh, 2020, and some of the, um, it, it got outside of the racing world. It was good. It was, you know, Rishi was calling for the sport um, to make a stance against the eradication of, of racism. Um, and they even invited him into the boardroom, but it still didn't happen. And we felt like our voice wasn't being heard. And maybe it's because people don't see colour when they see Rishi and I. We've been in the game for a, uh, an awful long time. Uh, we're both of similar age in our mid, mid to late 40s. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to look at what the next generation is coming through. No one can deny that we need to be far more attractive to a whole new uh, generation that's coming through. I think our youth engagement is really poor in horse racing. If you don't, if you're not the small, this isn't sexist, the small girl in pony club, it's a generalization because the majority of uh, uh, pony club is, is female or the short kid in class, then we're not, we don't try and engage you. You know, and that's the problem. We, You know, all the way through your impressionable early teens, we don't try and engage it. Those that do by themselves gain an interest in horse racing and want to follow it through, there's no defined pathway for that fan base or, or into the workforce. So it's something I've been working on, but what I thought I'd do is I'd actually go and speak to three young guys and three young black guys that had found their own or started developing their own pathway and journey within the sport and how they felt and um it was and people go well you, it's it's a small segment it's only three people and it, it might only be three people but we learn something from everybody's journey um and I've said it numerous times i learned stuff from your journey you'd learn stuff from my journey if we just sat down and talked which is why it's great that podcasts such as these uh, have become more prevalent within our, our social society I suppose and and learning from different people's journeys and experiences. You can't deny, and this is where I have a real problem with all the um, – I, I can handle the, the abuse that I get uh, on social media or, or from wherever for bringing, about the, bringing up the conversation even. Uh, and it is an uncomfortable conversation um, that I've done. But equally, hearing from th- these three guys, which has been brilliant, they were really eloquent, they're in different parts of the industry, and I'm really proud of, um, of what – not only how it came across, but what they said, that the debate has started. I was on a conference call with uh, Anna-Marie Phelps and, uh, and a lovely lady called Shireen Daniels this morning, um, who's another uh, com- uh, diversity campaigner, but works in the HR industry, that British horse racing are, are going to be bringing in to speak to the stakeholders that signed up to that uh, commitment that was announced only a couple, of, a couple of weeks ago, or should I say at the beginning of May, um that th- what does that commitment actually mean and how are we going to put it into practice so no i'm uh, extremely proud of of the program and, uh, and of being able to give people a voice uh and it's a voice that our voices weren't being heard and they still are not heard very well in the uh, the towers of power within this sport
1: and were you shocked by some of the answers they gave
0: not at all. None whatsoever. They were, um, I understood them. They, these guys reached out to me during the last year because they weren't being hurt. They were feeling hurt. They felt like that they were part of a family, as did I and as did Rish, that we were part of the family. And what you do when, when everyone has got someone's part of their family that's going through pain or feel uncomfortable, you go and you go and speak to them and you find out how you could better the situation. Um, unfortunately, racing didn't do that. There was a, a room of, white people made the decision that we will ignore what happened with George Floyd's murder and we'll ignore how our ethnic minority community as part of the racing family is feeling. And they made a decision for us. So we just felt like we weren't being heard at all. And even when Rishi, when it very eloquently presented to their board, they still decided not to do anything. It's quite comical, really.
1: And it was quite a significant um, venue for... Documentary at the Jockey Club Rooms in Newmarket.
0: It was. Listen, the the Jockey Club Rooms is a historic part of our sport, and I'm not going to. I I fell in love with our sport because of its history, but equally, it's got to move with the times. Uh, The Jockey Club were very kind to let us um, film there, and we've got another one of the Leading the Way series, which we'll come on to later on. That's going to be filmed at the National Stud. Then we've got some amazingly iconic venues to 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 look at, but equally, we've got to move. We have to move forward and modernise and and become reflective of of society if we're going to be attractive to the next generation coming through.
1: And is horse racing a bit, uh, who, you know, rather than what, you know,
0: um, it depends on what part and element you're looking at. I mean, there's so many different elements to horse racing in terms of who, you know, and what, you know, there's, um, like in life, you could be born into be into privilege, a privileged family in some way, shape or form. And that's not your fault. (laughs) Um, at the end of the day, It is difficult to get, uh, because there isn't a defined non-rider pathway, it's something that I'm working on outside of my Sky Sports Racing and Rewards for Racing role that I've decided to take on, is to build a pathway, and that's not, it does have a, a, a diversity side to it, because... It needs to be attractive to everyone within the population. Um, and it doesn't matter if you're seven foot tall and orange, that there should there is a role that you could do within horse racing. And we need to make sure that that gets out there. There's a great thing that Godolphin did called the Godolphin Beacon Project, which highlights over 300 different roles within the sport. But it hasn't been, you know, scalability of getting that out there hasn't been Fought well enough, I have to say, to get it out because I only found out about it about three or four months ago. And it's a case of, okay, how do we get out in front of the next generation and become attractive?
1: And reflecting on the answers that they gave on the programme, how can we get more black jockeys, more black trainers, more black people in administration roles?
0: Um, Well, it's about engaging. It's about engagement and becoming an option. And we're currently not an option. You cannot blame a... A, a chief executive or an employer, if he's given or she's given 50 CVs of the same demographic of people, if it's 50 white blokes for a role, he's going to employ a white bloke. What we've got to do is become an option um along the way through. And we, I don't think we are an option to be ethnic minority communities wherever they are. And yes, a lot do preside in inner cities. That's not to say there are any wealthier or poorer than um than the next person but they are there but what we're doing is we're expecting them to come to us and i sincerely believe we need to go to them so we need to showcase our sport because people throw this at me which is josh race uh, racing is very full of diversity just go into your bookmaker shops and there'll be a Rastafarian, an indian person someone from china you know this kind of stuff and i'll go absolutely and isn't it brilliant but the reason why it's brilliant is because that bookmaker shop is in the community of where they live. It's not the rural race course. And what we've got to do is we've got to go and take our sport and do showcase days in various different ways, shapes or form. be it for the fan base or be it for the, for the next workforce coming through. So we've become an option. We've got this great thing of racing to school and there's 15,000 children that go on racing to school. And, there's no engagement post there. they come and have this great day and then we just drop it. And there's no pathway for these kids to go on. You know, where's the where's the autograph book or the sticker album that we had when we were kids if we were becoming fans of a the sport? There are digital ways, NFTs. No one's thought about what the strategy around NFT is um, for British horse racing just yet. And we've got some fantastic collectibles that we could have within the sport. And that's the type of thing we've got to start far more modern thinking because Our sport is funded, as you know, by the majority by media rights. Okay? Owners are very, very important. Punters are very, everyone's very important. But in terms of where the cash revenue comes from, it's generally from the bookmaking side of things. So it's levy and it's media rights. Now, the reason why they're at the levels that they are now is because the consumer wants our product to bet on. That's fine. But as Flutter have recently gone out with, they believe, what well, they believe from their data, and that's 40% of the market across all their brands, Skybet, Betfair, um, Paddy Power, the lot, that the horse racing customer is 20 years, on average, 20 years older than their average customer. And they're dying away at one end. And they're not getting backfield at the other end. The next generation coming through, I've got a 16-year-old uh, son and a 13-year-old daughter. They They're surrounded by horse racing but they're into e-sport, they're into all sorts of other stuff that they will then go, which if they can progress into a betting environment, which will be far more enjoyable, entertaining for them, but not horse racing. And that's the problem. If we don't, those media rights are only going to be worth that much if the c- customer base wants it. If the next customer base coming coming through doesn't want it, when, and, the, and we are an expensive product for a bookmaker. I say expensive, they make lots of money from us. That's That's good. And we, we charge a rate for it, whether that rate's right or wrong, is, is to be discussed in another discussion. But it's, if you haven't got the people in de- demanding it, the bookmaker is definitely not going to pay it, and it's going to go down. So that is why, how I link this all together, the future funding of the sport and the future of the sport, means that you need to be engaging to the next generation coming through. And what do they care about? They care about diversity and inclusion. They care about sustainability. And all these things that we, as the older generation, are only just becoming used to, they care passionately about. You have to look at Greta Thunberg. They care passionately about these kind of things. And they don't believe that we should have so many enclosures in horse racing. They think everyone should be treated exactly the same. But we have an enclosure because they see it as a class system. And so those are the things that we need to start realising how we engage that next generation. And it's no one's job currently to do that.
1: And you mentioned also about your cities as opposed to the countryside. I, I know in, again, going back to Ebony Rainford-Brent with her ACE programme, which has now uh, moved to Birmingham, is there not scope for something like that in some of the cities to attract people to riding schools? I know we've got the Khadija development uh, a couple of weeks ago as well. There is, if you can
0: ride. My son's six foot three. He's going to be about six foot eight by the time he's finished. Riding is not going to be an option for him unless it's a great big shire horse. And he can ride, and he's been taught to ride, but it's just not him. Still likes racing. So I think, we yes, we to get up close and personal, I think the more they can do, the better. Hence those showcase uh, type of days and, and uh, events that we can organise. But equally, we need to make sure it's inclusive. And currently, riding a horse is quite a privileged pastime. It costs quite a bit of cash. and. Uh, to make sure that we're inclusive for everybody. We've also got, you know, I spoke to Ollie Bell at length. Um, he gave me a call afterwards because he knew about the work I was doing. Obviously, I knew about the work he was doing. Um, and we've we've said we'll definitely work together because we need to work out where the riding pathway, excuse me, feeds into the non-rider pathway so we bring them all on the correct journey into becoming tomorrow's, well, they're not tomorrow's fan, today's fan, but they continue through their lives, you know, of how, how we all got into horse racing in some way, shape or form. That's what I'm saying. We, we understand and we, we can learn everything about each of us' journeys of how we got here in terms of uh, our passion for the, the sport of horse racing.
1: Because there must be a talent pool of future jockeys in cities, which obviously not tapping into at all.
0: That could well be. You know, you have to look at Jason Weaver, Daryl Holland, all these different people that, um, Royston French, you know, there's all sorts of people that, Turned up at the races, well, I hadn't ridden a horse before. Richard Kingscote, you know, um, you can go through them. There is, a, there is a definite route, and I think with pony racing, and that kind of stuff, you can. But equally, you've got to make it an option. The other thing is, obviously, being a jockey probably isn't inclusive because you've got to be a certain height and weight. So it's only a, a, a small element. And we are getting bigger, you know, as a, as a race. So um, it's why it's fantastic that um, diversity in terms of gender diversity is is growing on it is, is on a great trajectory we're not yet we're not there yet but it's on a great trajectory because the other thing is that when i you know i used to um i've changed my opinion about um, female jump jockeys you know i used to say look statistic not even statistically um that the female skeletal system isn't as strong as the male skeletal system and that's been one yes it's proven but then secondly the female athletes and, and the ladies find it easier to do the weight. So they're not as perhaps malnutritioned or wasting down. They're at their physical. I mean, no one's ever going to tell Holly Dawn or Rachel Dawn or, or um, Rachel Blackmore that they're not strong, um, either in the saddle. You've seen some of those clips of Holly in the gym as well. But that's because she can eat as, as much as she wants to be a fit athlete, whereas beforehand it was a race to the bottom of how light you can be meant the more rides you could get. That's I think that's has definitely changed, but it's played into the hands and brilliantly played into the hands of the increase in gender diversity of our of our jockeys.
1: So you think that making the sport more inclusive will lead to more black jockeys and black trainers?
0: Um, whether it will make it into more black jockeys and more black trainers, I don't. I wasn't specifically answering it in terms of that, but if you become more reflective of society, that's naturally going to happen.
1: So Noah, you quoted some figures yourself, and I think these came off uh, the race and debate I watched when you said there's three trainers of Middle Eastern nationality and three jockeys of ethnic minority backgrounds um, against 14% ethnic minorities and inside the M25, 38%. Absolutely.
0: um, So, and and so that's why we've got, we've got quite a long way to go. But then equally, let's get, let's see where the great thing is that I think what's happened in the last month with the work that we've done with uh, the uncomfortable race, the announcement of the commitment is we can at least turn around and say, this is where we're at, even if where we are at is not a great place. And what has happened in the past where I've spoke to all senior leaders about this within the British horse racing, and they were just, and and Anna-Marie Phelps in her interview uh, with me last week, admitted it. That they were in such a poor position, they didn't feel they could go out and stand alongside us. When that's what actually we were saying, and I think there was a communication breakdown. Even though we were, thought we were being very plain and clear as to we want you to, you know, to stand alongside us and support um, the eradication of racism, and you know that we stand alongside us in this time where you know we're feeling some pain. And I think that that's now has given us a good base and foundation to move forward of going okay this is where it, you can only judge how you're getting better because I asked her one of the questions I asked her in the interview was who's going to be the judge and she turned around and said oh it might be you Josh it might be Rich, it might be it could be you Stephen but everyone's going to perceive win at a different level so that's where I've turned around and said that within the commitment they've put a 30 percent gender diversity target there but no target for ethnicity and i strongly believe that we, um, we need some form of target to judge what win looks like or, or where we've struggled. You know, we, as long as you've got a target and we're aiming to be better, that's brilliant. But what does it look like along the way? And there's no point continuing doing something if it doesn't work. Um, we should always try something different. But you need to work where is the level of saying it works or not.
1: And what's the time period of this, these targets?
0: Um, I think this is just a commitment. I think it was a three. That's a good question. I'll read back through. I had nothing to do with the industry commitment. Um, It was drafted, I think, by the Diversity Racing Steering Group and the BHA, and it's got eight signatories on it from the leading stakeholders within the sport. I believe it's a commitment to be better and that there will be a dashboard. This will be the interesting time when the dashboard comes up and and they go, "Okay, this is what it looks like in a year, in two, in three, in five, whether we've actually got the balls as a sport to go, this has worked, this hasn't worked, and this has been horrendous and hasn't moved at all. The judge, judge, self-judgment is going to be difficult.
1: Yeah, commitment's not an actual figure, is it? Um, no. Hopefully, if it's properly monitored, then if it's not improving, then figures can then be inserted, or there'll be a clamour to, certainly.
0: Absolutely, you know. Um, we, are, I, you know, the stat is there's six hundred senior directors and individuals within our sport, and there is only one non-white, and that's Suleika Varma, who's the racing director at Entry, um, who's fantastic by the way, um, and should come on your show.
1: No, I, I spoke <laughs> um, to Suleika. she was fantastic. I spoke to her, oh, uh, quite a while back now. I think it was early part of this year.
0: But, you know, and that that statistic needs changing and you know i was asked um or it was put to me not directly to my face who would i replace and i wasn't here to replace anybody i'm here to make in my in my how i see my role is to make sure that the system is fair and inclusive and it can't be fair and inclusive if the 600 to 1 stat is run alongside the 14% across the uk
1: no, I think everyone, any right, fair-minded person would agree with you there. The figures just don't add up with, with what you just said there.
0: Which means there's got to be unconscious bias somewhere. And we've got to work out where that unconscious bias is or where those hurdles are and remove as many as possible. So it is fair because, as, a, as like I say again, it's not the fault of the employer currently if they're presented with 2030 whatever the amount of applicants if they are all white it's the job of engaging that people from a different from an ethnic minority background that racing is an option
1: and has the reaction to the program generally been positive sounds like you've had some good conversations
0: um, sadly no um, I've had some fantastic conversations with people that get it um, and think and live outside of um not they don't just live in the racing bubble um i've had some really sad conversations um with people that would ring that have rang me and said i'm a racing hater um that i um that basketball doesn't want to be white so why can't we just stay as we are um why don't i go back to my own country was one comment um when i was born (laughs) i've spent my entire life in the uk uh, there's been some really sad and sick comments that have come back through um, I've been asked to curb my opinion if I would uh, if I was going to go for some funding for some diversity proje- projects which is like white supremacy classic case so it's it's been on that front I don't overly worry because I don't read the comments I get told a couple of them apparently there were lots of them um, and uh, I think Good thing about those negative comments, if you can ever get a good thing, is that a lot more people have seen them. Well, not me, but a lot of people have seen them and got, and it shocked a lot of people. And in that case, I think people, the greatest comment and um, big sort of virtual hug that I got was from a previous BH uh, BHB chief executive, Greg Nichols, down in Australia, who said... Josh him and his wife uh, Victoria watched it and they said, "We walked a mile in your shoes and we cried so it was you know that was a that was a big a big moment from someone I hugely respect
1: well it's very strong of you to take that sort of a boost as well as you have it's it's totally unacceptable and awful to think that what you're trying to do which is to um improve the yeah, access, I'm not for- an opportunity <laughs> To black people in a, in a sport which we all love, and and make it more diverse so that more people are going to get involved because you know all sports need to reflect society and 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 the world we live in.
0: Yeah, I I was on this as I mentioned I was on this call this morning with Shireen Daniels and you should Google her she's an um, she's a influencer on LinkedIn um, and she's she's brilliant and anyway she been um, she'd been invited racing. And she said she was scared. To, she'd not been, she not she' scared to come. And she used to work for Gala Coral. So if you know, this is years ago that she worked there. But she said, she admitted this morning she was scared to come racing. You know, and that as a black lady, and that is what we need to change.
1: Oh, you you regularly hear you know that Marcus Rashford is getting sort of a online a boost despite the, the fantastic work he's done in other areas, and I don't think that as a white person myself we understand. The, the depth of of how you would feel if you got that abuse based on your race.
0: Well, I had a conversation at the, at the weekend, and I kid you not, with a senior member of our industry who turned around and said, well, I hope he's not doing it for his own self-PR, about Marcus Rushford. And I'm like, what are you talking about? If it was a white guy, we wouldn't have had that conversation.
1: Do you well, know it, what I mean? It,
0: and that's the problem.
1: Well, it showed the other day how much money, personal money he'd given as well.
0: Exactly. So it is a statistic, But I'm a positive person, so I take the positives out of it. And I think it's, would I do it again? I'd do it a hundred times again. If it means that the dial is, uh, and the conversation has been has started, uh, how can we get better? And there are far more people. Of course, the negative trolls are the ones that go on there. There are thousands of people that have been, and some of the supporters... I got a me- another message from Australia this morning from Lizzie Jeffs, who's a TV presenter in Australia on Australian racing, um, saying it's fantastic. We've had calls from Australia from Racing.com and, and other channels down there to show the uncomfortable race. So it's about spreading the word and that we're racing is a global sport, but it's also a small world, the racing world. And as much as we can do more together, I think uh, Australia faces the same problems as we do. If anyone didn't catch the amazing documentary that came out last year called The Australian Dream. It's about Adam Goodyear, the Aussie rules football player. Brilliant, brilliant documentary. Um, and I, I think there is where they've been calling the participants is is far worse than perhaps what, what I get because it's online or what, we, what Rishi got when he did the interview with me. But it's still there and it's still, are we going to eradicate that? You know, I think that's a separate conversation for what these platforms stand for and who should be held accountable for what's put on them.
1: Yeah, I saw that. Um, this is the Aboriginal uh, Australian rules footballer.
0: Yeah, it's a brilliant yeah. documentary.
1: Well, it's just as well you're a positive person and you can take that sort of a boost because I, I don't think that some some people would would handle it, really.
0: Yeah, but um, Stephen, the, the problem I've got is that I, I can. Does it great? Yeah, of course it does. But I, I, I don't read it, so I don't see it. But then my problem is that I have teenage children. Why if they see it? You know, what if my wife sees it? You know, that's the, the yeah. where I worry where, when I've got teenage of an impressionable age, you know, and they see that kind of filth written about their father, you know?
1: Well, where would you like to see diversity in racing, say, in five years' time?
0: Where would I like to? I'd like to see that there's a system in place um, that that there is a pathway of, that you can get onto at any point in time from um, coming out of the womb all the way through to going being put back into the ground, but there is a pathway that you can latch onto and that doesn't matter if you ride or you don't ride. It doesn't matter what your background is. You don't need money to do it or cash to do it. Um, I think the advent of the internet has given us some great free platforms to engage with people and... Um, I hope that when you see these amazing pictures of some of our biggest festivals, that it's not just the colours of silks that you see, that it's a very colourful picture in terms of the ethnicity of the crowd compared to what it is uh, currently today.
1: Well, let's hope that's the case and um, hope that, that the word commitment turns into not just commitment, but actually figures. And if, if it doesn't, then... That, that's challenged I'm, I'm sure um, with you involved it, it will get challenged
0: well we, 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 we will keep well I think adam Marie Phelps used a, a phrase of keeping one's pulling one's foot towards the fire or something along those lines yeah. but I will you know yes I have, I have energy towards this because I you know you want to leave the sport in a good place for the future and the next generation coming through and I sincerely believe the next generation you're telling me, that it needs to be far more diverse for them to get involved within it and to engage within it. And um, that's music to my ears. And, and I'm hopefully not being a racing hater, as I was called last week. I'm being someone who's going to look towards of how we change the sport. But people don't like change, and That's the problem. They're very comfortable in their own environments. And I think I made people feel uncomfortable last week, which... If it creates conversation and we can have these kind of conversations and we can get it out there as much as possible, some people get it, some people need a, you know, some people that rang me were really close friends that just said, I don't feel comfortable. Can we have a conversation? And we had that conversation as to why they didn't feel comfortable. And it was interesting that they rang me to say they didn't feel comfortable. The question wasn't, hey, Josh, how are you?
1: Well, I think all these things, sometimes it, it it needs to be uncomfortable to actually get action taken to put things right.
0: agreed. Absolutely. Nothing happens from, from jovial conversations and, and off we go. It happens from having difficult conversations. Um, it happens from trying new things. It's adversity to risk. You know, there's all sorts of things that you've got to look at and, and work out if we go down this route, if it doesn't work, we'll trot we can stop and then we can go down another one. It does but it also I think one of my roles I think or i or self appointed roles is also now to make it feel safe for the sport to to move down this route there is no risk whatsoever for this sport to become more diverse it needs to because you know it's linking it and localizing it to why should i give a monkeys about the horse sport being uh, uh, embracing diversity and inclusion so i've got to localize that so if it's about the funding mechanism we've talked about already in this podcast about the, uh, the media rights and how tomorrow's media rights are going to be paid for by a section or a generation coming through which currently are not engaged with our sport and they are with others and bookmakers are going to gravitate towards those others because they're cheaper that's one way so they, that's how all race courses are funded who are the most, some of the most powerful organizations in our sport that's what they've got to realize at the end of the day, those chief executives in those roles of those race courses on those senior organisations are probably only going to be there for five years. Statistically, it's around five or six years you're a chief executive. I'm talking about 10 years' time. So now you're talking about legacy stuff that you've got to invest now, for perhaps when you're not here. You know, and perhaps when I'm not here, because, you know, who who knows how long we're going to have the planet. But equally, we've got to invest. And we should. It shouldn't be about what your annual bonus is, because you've squeezed as much as possible out of this last 12 months no matter what period we've been through it should be that you're you're building something towards um it's like we're all shareholders of the sport at the end of the day and we want to increase the share price of the sport and i seriously worry if we don't that that share price in the sport will be dropping significantly over the next 10
1: years well thank you very much for talking about the uncomfortable race that's a very good point you raised at the end there about the sort of demographics really as we move forward in the sport and. We're going to go forward shortly to part two, where we're going to talk about your own very varied career in horse racing.
0: Brilliant. Thank you, Steve.
1: Thank you for listening to The Paddock and The Pavilion. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and now on Instagram, at The Pad and Pav. Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave us a rating and review.